Among the trees at the creek's edge, I find footprints. Even beneath the fragrant grass, I see them. And deep in the far mountains, they are found. They can't be hidden, just like our own noses when gazing at the heavens. Um, apparently something has uh, uh, shifted for our, our little round-headed uh, ox-herd boy or girl. And now um, uh, he or she appears to have discovered something. The uh, picture shows the uh, little critter peering around and seeing um, some marks on the ground. Um, but it would appear from the poem that uh, uh, the um, Oxford didn't simply, uh, by chance, wind up in uh, a spot where there happened to be footprints. Um, in other words, uh, he or she I don't know, didn't uh, simply stumble from Devon into Cornwall and, oh, there they are. They've been in Cornwall all the time and I've been, it's ridiculous. It wasn't like that. Um, now, uh, the Oxford says, even beneath the fragrant grass, I see them. And besides, even if I journey into the far mountains, they're there. Not only that, they can't be hidden. So we're already, uh, we're just on, uh, you know, uh, picture number two. And um, we've gone from strength failing and vitality exhausted to uh, some uh, yeah, more encouraged position. So the uh, suggestion seems to be that the footprints are everywhere. Uh, that is, we might say the uh, the uh, traces of the ox. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of uh, detail here about uh, what exactly... Uh, Changed uh, between uh, pictures one and two. Uh, in fact, it would appear that very little has changed. 
phenomena are still just as they are, just as they've always been. But now they um, reveal something. Instead of being a, uh, an apparently impenetrable, confusing mass, uh, they um, speak with the voice of reality. So this is uh, pretty significant. The Oxford is already in a better mood, apparently. Footprints are simply aspects of reality, things as they are expressed in every phenomenon, internal, external, personal, individual, human, animal, you name it. Reality is uh, one phenomenal expression of uh, enormous multiplicity. And that means that uh, everywhere we look, uh, truth is expressed. This is... uh, This is surely good news. That means it's not necessary to travel from Devon to Cornwall to um, make progress. Cornwall's next door, right? (laughs) You don't even have to go that far. (laughs) So this is profoundly good news. However, if you do go to Cornwall... Uh, it will be covered with footprints, just as is heaven. Probably that one, too. Oh, they're spelled differently, aren't they? Yes, right. Yeah, so this um, you know, encourages, encourages us in our understanding that... Um, Cultivation of the Buddha way is, is really not, it's not about manipulating stuff. You, you know, there's the uh, quite old um, uh, kind of uh, verse summary of, of Buddha's teaching. Um, uh, I think it's among the... Um, oldest fragments we have from the early days. Although, as you're probably aware, uh, the early days, the the remnants that we have are not anywhere near as early as Shakyamuni himself. There's basically uh, nothing remaining from his day. 
Um, I say that with some trepidation because I think there may, around here there may be some folks who dispute that. But anyway, um, even the uh, the, the uh, beautiful and uh, precious. Um, Pali suttas and their parallel uh, scriptures in the Chinese and Tibetan canons uh, are from centuries after Buddha's time. And um, as far as we know, Buddha didn't even speak Pali. So the, the Pali suttas, uh, precious as they are, are the preserve of the Theravadan school. So... Uh, as is usually the case, you know, with sacred history, the origins, historically speaking, are shrouded. And uh, we have what we trust to be rays of light from the original effulgence, but the source itself is hidden. Anyway, one of these old fragments is, um, you know, Avoid all evil, cultivate all good, clarify the mind or the heart. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. It's a very, very old verse found, as I recall, in the Dhammapada and elsewhere. Even that is not an instruction to manipulate stuff. even in the arising of what we would consider unwholesome states of mind, there are footprints. So we're taught, you know, the four right efforts, you know, the samyak prahanas. Um, anybody know the four right efforts? Um, not quite. This is another list. The, the Samyak Prahanas are um, um, to, in, to interrupt um, unwholesome states that have arisen and to cease unwholesome states in the future, uh, to uh, support wholesome states and to cultivate them in the future. Those are the four so-called right efforts. And this is in that longer list of the 37 factors of awakening or wings of enlightenment. Um, uh, even there, it is actually not about manipulation. One response to uh, the perception that, oh, something unwholesome is arising, maybe, you know, attachment or anger or something, is, well, i got to kill that and get rid of it. One could interpret the verse that way. But one could also say, uh, to behold that arising frame of mind without a manipulative response in other words, just to sit in the face of that arising is to deprive it of further energy and to allow it to express reality entirely. 
allow it to be a footprint. Uh, if we had the thought, well, I don't, uh, I don't have enough uh, wholesome states. You know, I've got to come up with more wholesome states. This can be kind of manipulative also. For instance, uh, people sometimes say, I sometimes say, I should be a friendlier person. You know? Now, mostly that's just a thought that I have, and I don't... Um, I don't discount it, but I also don't feel like I now have to do friendly person exercises of some kind, which doesn't seem to be that useful. But I notice that, um, particularly when I'm traveling, for instance, um, uh, people who haven't uh, met each other will they'll start chatting. Or um, I was going to board the uh, plane to come over here, and a very nice lady from Australia was... Uh, Gave me some valuable information about the uh, jet, the uh, Virgin Atlantic headphones, which I didn't know, just uh, um, quite spontaneously. And I admire that because uh, I was brought up to be very rather reserved and uh, kind of shy of strangers. So I don't I don't sit down on a bus and say, "Oh, how are you doing, mate?" You know, and chat with people the way some folks do. And I actually admire that spirit. But um, my karma is a little different, um, so. Uh, being a friendlier person uh, for me is something more like uh, observing, valuing, respecting opportunities for friendliness and allowing them to arise. And when they do, go with that. It's not like today I'm going to go out and talk to five people I've never met before. You can do that, but that may not be necessary. Just in... um, creating a welcoming place for wholesome states of mind uh, is a right effort. And in that arising, again, footprints. And we're told, this is the teaching of all the Buddhas. Etam sabba buddhasasanam in Pali. And this is how our in our own body body minds we we see, we feel, we appreciate and come to understand our own lineages, roots, our own family roots in the uh, original effulgence, shrouded as it is in the mists of time.
So not only are there footprints, they are so numerous that they can't be hidden. They are, as, uh, as we say, plain as the nose on your face. This sort of uh, I was going to say experience, but it's kind of like to to cultivate the Buddha way with this attitude is um, uh, transforms the world subtly but unmistakably. You know, even in the midst of some difficulty, there are our footprints. As I was saying yesterday, it was so encouraging to, when I broke my wrist to see, oh, I can still practice. In the broken bone, there were footprints. So that's pretty encouraging, huh? don't you think? to make some comment or ask a question? Um, isn't transformation just a, another word for manipulation? Um, it could be if by transformation we, we mean something that we devise and perform. However, it's uh, probably okay to say that transformations happen. We had a big discussion uh, 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 one of the um, uh, Northern California Zen Catholic dialogue meetings that we had. Um, uh, there was some discussion about this point and whether indeed the whole purpose of um, Spiritual life was transformation. And there was some back and forth about it. And my Dharma brother, uh, Tygen Layton, another, uh, another uh, uh, thug with whom I was ordained, um, uh, I forget, we had some little dialogue about it, and we wound up agreeing. I said, I don't say there's no transformation. This is echoing the, an old dialogue but it can't be defiled. This is like that old story about um, um, the sixth ancestor and uh, might have been the overnight guest. No, maybe not. No, it might have been um, might have been Qingyuan. Anyway, way back then, uh, when Reb likes the story, so he's probably told you this one. Where uh, whoever it was, um, uh, Nanchuan or Chingguan, one of those guys comes to see the sixth ancestor. Sixth ancestor see, sees uh, 
him approach and says, oh, where are you from? And the person says, oh, down south, or whatever. And sixth ancestor says, uh, oh, what is it that thus comes? And uh, let's see, what is the... I don't have any of my books around, so I can't... Uh, I used to be able to come up with this stuff more easily, but... I can't, I can't look it up at the moment. It's something like, um, what is it that comes? Oh, and uh, the response is, well, if I say it's this or it's that, I miss the point. And the sixth ancestor says, oh, so there's no practice in realization? And the visitor says, I don't say there isn't practice and realization. I just say it can't be defiled. So it's the same with transformation. In our context, it's not that it isn't there, but it can't be defiled. Yes? Sorry, I didn't know whether you said defined. Defiled. Defiled. But you, you said it and I heard yes. it. Before I yes. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, one of these ancient Zen um, utterances. It can't be defiled. The notion that, just like Dogen says, he doesn't say there's no practice verification, but you can't touch it. You can't grasp it and turn it into some thing that you like and recognize. What do you say? Yes. And what's your impression? Well, the unwholesome thoughts spring, we are taught, from uh, previous unwholesome thoughts. Um, But it's not exactly the footprint. So the footprints are nothing that you do or can. So the footprints can't be defiled either. Uh, Even beneath the fragrant grass, they're there. So uh, yesterday we had the little round-headed fellow parting the grasses. And now, uh, even underneath the grass, they're present. Now, everywhere he or she goes, they're there. So, uh, in this, uh, this uh, poem, um, uh, the suggestion is that, well, I may not exactly have encountered the ox but the fact that the ox is around is unmistakable. Did you want to ask something else? You can fight it out if you want. (laughs) Okay, Michael. Um, So with this question, uh, this word, Mm defilement, Is the suggestion 
than good. We can't intervene in any way. It just it just happens. This this transformation trans, transformation, and therefore manipulation. You're suggesting uh, perhaps is well. We try to intervene, whereas perhaps transformation is is in its truest sense is something that happens. Yes. Without Transformation happens, and as I say, um, uh, we could uh, probably spend not just all day, but many days um, imagining what that might be like and coming up with various scenarios, and none of those will stick to actual transformation. None of those will touch it. Another word, another expression for transformation is, in fact, practice verification, which Dogen uses all the time. Shoujo, that phrase in Japanese, appears all throughout the Shobogenzo. Practice verification. And as we'll chant again at noon, he says, uh, um, they are not two. Did you want to pursue? Well, Right efforts. Yes, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. efforts. And then you, you, um, I gave a suggestion and you said not quite. Yes, I did say that. I, I thought, um, and then you, you gave the four mm-hmm. right efforts. Mm-hmm. Sixth ancestor and what is it that thus comes? Mm-hmm. The lists and the, mm-hmm. the grasping 
Yeah. Well, presumably uh, <clears throat> some of us uh, Zenists are, are Zenists because we weren't particularly drawn to the um, vast corpus of Buddhist scholasticism, which is primarily made up of lists. But um, uh, they have the same roots as our practice, which is why I brought it up. The four right efforts um, can be a um, an invitation to manipulation, or it can be an invitation to stillness. And being a Zenist, I look at it from the latter perspective. Um, our Zen stories are um, uh, so powerful because although elliptical and elusive, they all point in the same direction. And it's a place, so to speak, you can't get to just by um, figuring something out. Some other um, level or function of our being responds rather than uh, our more common experience of Oh, I, yeah, I figured that out. Yeah, I get that. Like an algebra problem or something. It's not quite like that. The language of practice tends to be the language of poetry, and this is no accident. So the lists are, well, the lists can be helpful or encouraging when one is has that feeling that one has been um, following nameless rivers and is lost on the crisscross paths of distant mountains. And then uh, a uh, you know a uh, spiritual friend, Kalyana Mitra, may come along and hand us a list, so we can be a little encouraged. You know? So it just doesn't look quite so trackless out there. Actually, it is, but. Um, uh, it's nice to meet someone else on the journey rather than feel like one is isolated in this enormous wilderness. So we have some lists. But um, really, uh, I would say, at root, they are an invitation to stillness. An invitation to non-manipulation. An invitation to just this now. Yes, that's, uh, I saw that in your note, actually. <laughs> and I don't know whether you, perhaps for that very reason, you might not want to elaborate on it, but maybe there's a natural, there is a natural grasping when we become aware of other levels of experience. There is. Um, you know, there's that uh, reflex, if you, you take a baby, and you kind of go like this, the baby goes like this. 
It's quite a reflex. And um, uh, that's how our, our intellects work. It's not necessarily a problem unless we actually feel like there's something we can grasp. And then we'll keep at it. Keep worrying at it like a dog on a bone until we get some feeling like, okay, now I got it. That, that, is, uh, that drains our energy. That's a kind of, um, maybe a very basic kind of manipulation. So, yeah, always knowing where the ox is, I, I was kind of maybe more like thinking whether I, so to speak, pardon the expression, I am in um, the high mountains above the clouds and mist, or whether I am in a deep, dim, rugged valley. I know where the ox is. Not so much uh, the ox is charging around somewhere and I have this beacon that I can, uh, you know, my, my GPS receiver. It's not like that. It's like wherever I am, I know where the ox is. I'm not claiming anything. I'm just saying that's how I would express it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the choice about the choice for me about needing feeling that I, I do set up conditions mm-hmm. to practice mm-hmm. and, and thinking that in terms of your word transformation or practice verification that that is a kind of settling to open some of the distresses of a busy day mm-hmm. So in other words, um, um, we might not particularly choose uh, if we are cultivating the Buddha way to live with a community of heroin addicts. I mean, we might not. We might choose to live somewhere else where uh, it's a little bit more supportive of the effort we're trying to make. Well, I think that's quite reasonable. Now, um, if circumstances, if life were to pluck you up and drop you in the midst of a community of heroin addicts, it's important to remember that one can still cultivate. Even if things look really bad, even if one is in a very deep, rugged mountain valley and can't even figure out how one got there, um, to think that uh, I must get back to Cornwall so I can find the ox will sap our energy. And it's not necessary. However, to make reasonable arrangements in our lives so that um, certain values are protected is, is uh, perfectly good. As long as we don't start to completely depend on those and think that I can practice because of those things, not otherwise. Do you see the distinction I'm making? So if... Um, I was just reading a uh, 
really quite good science fiction novel, and there aren't that many. Probably 90-some percent of science fiction is just drek, but this one was very good, and uh, uh, presented an extremely dystopic vision, pardon me for saying so, of the United Kingdom, where um, I forget who was in charge, but they were really awful, and uh, things were really bad. There were like little enclaves all over the country, uh, none of whom wanted anything to do with one another, and um, there were there were rabid Christians, and then there were anarchists, and uh, and then the government was very heavy-handed and quite unpleasant. Um, if if uh, that were to happen tomorrow, um, I, I hope that we wouldn't then feel like, well, forget it. I can't practice anymore. This is just a mess. That would be unfortunate. Um, uh, we don't see. I think you said you were chanting some of the Lotus Sutra. Is that right? No, I remember saying that. Uh, what, what, the, uh, the Universal Gateway or the lifespan of the Tathagata? Ah, okay. Well, in the Universal Gateway, um, verses is, are all about Chenrezig, uh, Avalokiteshvara, Kuan Yin. Um, and it's full of things like um, if the, um, the executioner is about to lop off your head, Reflect on the wondrous power of Avalokiteshvara and the sword will break. Now, I think it's a little naive to imagine that um, uh, that is some sort of literal description of reality. In a way it is, but um, uh, I think what it's getting at is that this to bring forth, to allow to come forth this spirit of practice regardless of circumstance that's the wondrous power of Avalokiteshvara. Uh, so even in dire circumstances, to uh, bring that forward, and another way to say that is, consider the saving power of Avalokiteshvara. Is, this is the gesture of, of the practitioner. This is the gesture of the person of the way. Right? This verifies, if you like, that the footprints are everywhere. So, um, we and the footprints are not two. Do you see what I'm saying? This is very important. It's not that we're just this, this bunch of um, um, derelicts and, and, and eventually we'll find some footprints and, and that'll be really great. It's like the footprints are not other than where we are, not other than who we are. This is very, very important. This will be uh, um, this is a great encouragement and, and basis of our practice uh, and the basis of our sitting. If that weren't so, um, just sitting would be kind of ridiculous. Just sitting would be another, albeit subtle and aesthetically refined, method of manipulation. Just another one of those. And, you know, who needs those? Right? Do we need another one of those? There are millions of them out there. And they're all more or less uh, uh, useful in specific circumstances up to a point. Even, you know, um, dedicated users of drugs have some, you know, to some degree they know what they're doing. They're medicating themselves because of the pain of existence. You can't really blame them for that. But... It's a real dead end. Real dead end. 
that kind of manipulation is destined to be very short-lived and not very effective. So we, we definitely want our uh, practice of Buddha's way not to, be, uh, not to get bogged down and confused in that, in that spirit. Because then we're back to crisscross paths of distant mountains, wandering endlessly. Just if I get one county over, maybe I will find something. Yes, David. Hmm. Oh, oh, I see. Yes. I was grasping my idea that practice had come between walls. Practice was taking place in verse one. And practice realization, footprints are now everywhere. Then I latched on to this ceaselessly, ceaselessly pushing aside your first. Mm-hmm. Um, and something about what you just said that the footprints and us are one of the same. Yes. It's pushing aside. The, this, is, this is action. Pushing aside? Yes. Um, well, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, one of the, the distinctions being made is there's pushing aside that is manipulative and there's pushing aside that isn't. When we just sit, you could call that pushing aside. And it's also not manipulative. So there's a difference there between the, the little round-headed person restlessly, ceaselessly searching and pushing aside by sitting down in the midst of circumstances and expressing reality with his or her whole body-mind. The latter is not manipulative, I would say. It's a little artificial in some respects. Technically speaking, it's not really even necessary. But it's not the same as placing the goal out there and trying to get to it. Does that make any sense to you? Mm -hmm. So somewhere between poems one and two, the spirit of stillness, spirit of just sitting, the spirit of just this, has arisen in the heart of our Oxford. And there's been this shift. And that's called seeing the footprints. We're not yet calling that seeing the ox. And why we're not calling it that, um, maybe will come to me during the night, and I can talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> but the difference between the footprints and the ox is rather subtle. But we'll get to that. Yes? Is it possible that we can be sitting for many years in complete self-delusion unless we have verification from a teacher? Hmm. Um, 
is it possible? It is possible to sit in complete self-delusion. Yes, it is. The verification from the teacher is more about uh, expressing our practice through the three treasures rather than, than being a kind of uh, maybe a pratyeka Buddha and, and going off by oneself and appreciating one's own realization, whatever it is. So that's more about the conversation that is the, uh, one of the mainstays of Sangha and Sangha being one of the Sangha being the precise and beautiful expression of, of Buddha and Dharma. So it's not exactly indispensable, but it has been found over millennia to be important to be in conversation, to be in community. So that's kind of where that that is. One could be genuinely to have genuinely clarified the eye of birth and death and not talk to anybody about it. That's possible. But the talking is Buddha coming down from the mountain and teaching instead of just staying up there and hanging out, which he could have done. And that was his first impulse, as the story is told, as you know. And then some gods had to come down and say, look, come on. You know? And Buddha's like, no, no, I can't talk about this stuff. Oh, yeah, you can. Come on. Please, please. So finally he said, all right, all right. And then you have these beautiful East Asian paintings of Shakyamuni descending the mountain. Um, that's the beginning of the conversation. He didn't have to do that, but um, uh, it took uh, you know, Indra and the gang to remind him of the uh, importance of the vow to save all beings. And uh, that's the sort of archetypal story of that, the vow arising uh, in the midst of his own, you could say, practice verification. The vow spoke out and said, now, go into the marketplace, come down from the mountain and transform beings. So that's what that piece is about, I would say. Please. Um, when I chant, it's usually with a predominantly male. Yes, group, yes. And it's therefore of a lower register, naturally, mm-hmm. of a lower register. Mm-hmm. It's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, do I. Assume that voice and, and um, put on a deep voice and hmm. sing to, to be with them, mm-hmm. or which of course I can't immediately sing in my own voice because that's what's been given me, and I start off uh, following. But it always seems to be difficult mm-hmm. to, to do. Mm-hmm. And um, or do I? And then sometimes my own voice just comes through mm-hmm. the, the register, mm-hmm. and I uh, that happens. So mm-hmm. I sing in my slightly higher. Yes, so, sure. And then I often notice the group then comes to that 
hired to join in mm-hmm. the harvest. Mm-hmm. And, and this doesn't only happen in the chanting, it's very brought home to me almost every time we mm-hmm. chant. Mm-hmm. Um, how much I fully express myself and how much I go along with the, the, the group because that may be more supportive of the group than mm-hmm. than, than my um, fully expressing myself. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, um, this uh, differs rather substantially east to west, I've noticed. Um, when I was in Japan, I noticed that the, the monks, uh, at uh, Zuyoji anyway, where I was, um, they're all young men. Uh, there were a couple of older folks uh, who were m- most senior, but uh, mostly it was it was it was uh, some real kids. There was at least one teenager there, and uh, most of them were in their twenties. Uh, uh, and the chanting was it, it sounded like one voice. It was very very strong, vigorous, focused, but the registers were all over the place. Now, to my ear, it still it sounded pretty good, but I noticed it in the West, I'm much more sensitive to uh, various kinds of harmony or disharmony, depending on the tones that are being used. So in the West, we tend to try to say, try to match the kokyo's tone or harmonize. So in other words, try to avoid a dissonant interval, at least. Now, in Asia, they don't bother to do that. And yet, it still sounds like one big voice. Now, that's part of their training, but, but our ears are a little different. So I would say, if possible, find any harmonious interval you like that suits you. And then, remember to, to, that part of the chanting practice, you know, is to chant from here. And it's not so much about low notes, it's about using the whole abdomen, um, you know, whether we have a womb in there or other organs, it's actually, it doesn't matter. This is the hara in any case. Yeah. So to chant from here, you know, and to fill the lungs and to, to chant, not, not so much loudly, but with full energy, is the important part. And the, the uh, musical quality, well, you know, that's, that's, that's as it is. That's as may be. Um, generally speaking, in the West, to, to find a harmonious interval is, is good. But even if that fails, it's all right. So I would say, uh, you know, find a note that, that allows you to express yourself fully and chant with your whole body-mind, and, and, and then just use that. And if it isn't quite what everyone else is doing, well, there's no harm done. Shall I pretend to to do this down here and, and that low voice? Because I can't do it. Naturally. Well, this this isn't a low voice necessarily. Do no, you? but mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm aiming for the the voice that comes from here. Yes, be a bit different from. 
your normal speaking tone? Yes. Yes, it might well be. Yes, uh-huh. So it might help me to... to that voice, deep voice, mm-hmm. does come from there, doesn't it? Um, it, yes, it's more. It's much more that than a kind of uh, throat voice. So I'm just wondering if to pre- pretend the product mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. uh, to achieve it, because it's, yes. it's quite difficult thing to, when I start to chant to mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's difficult even for me to find my natural thing now, uh-huh. as I've lost this unity with. Uh, so that might. Ha- do you think that was okay? Yes. Do well. Yes. Well. Um, maybe I, I, instead of pretend, I might say, "Well, just uh, uh, practice with it. Practice with that. It's not. You're not exactly pretending. You're just. You're finding out about that part of the body and that way of practice. So you're not exactly pretending. Just. Just uh, if you hear you hear the teaching that chant from here. Well, nobody knows what that means until they investigate in their own bodies what that means. Um, so, so having heard that teaching, just just experiment with it and see wh- what you come up with, and and um, I'm sure whatever you come up with will be fine. Um, uh, various um, one thing I've noticed is that in the West, various uh, kokyos, um, uh, the ones that are often the hardest to follow, are the male tenor voices. Those often, when uh, a male tenor introduces the chant and people join in, it tends to be more cacophonous than uh, often a a female soprano or a male bass. So I have basically a tenor voice. So when I chant, I seek a lower note because it seems to be easier for people to find some place to come in. On the other hand, I've noticed that uh, here... I, I ha, I've tended to harmonize with the note that the kokyo has chosen. Mm-hmm. Not meet it, but harmonize with it mm-hmm. at a higher or lower register, usually lower. Right, yeah. So you, you're, I invite you to, to experiment with that and study that as much as you like and, and uh, uh, trust that practice. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one, basically, with our, our, when, when we sit, you know, our breathing also... Isn't, we invite our breathing all the way down to the bottom of the belly. Um, and I, I, really, I don't see this as a gender issue at all. Um, whether male or female, we can just breathe and let the breath expand this, this hara, part of the body. You know. And Zugarji has that suggestion you know, uh, where he says, um, he, he talks about breathing in the hara and how when you exhale, he says, put a little strength in your hara. I don't know if you saw that. I, don't know, I forget whether that's in one of his lectures, or Send Mind, Beginner's Mind, he said, put a little strength in, just a little bit. So as you exhale, you're, 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 you're um, putting a little, little strength here. And then it's like, uh, 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 as the breath finally leaves the lungs, you, you release that, that uh, strength or pressure. Uh, and in so doing, the shape of the abdomen changes uh, and the diaphragm drops, and the next breath starts to be drawn in. So it has this kind of circular quality uh, if you um, uh, utilize your hara in breathing. And uh, again, it's very important to remember that not to use this as a manipulation to make something fun happen in your mind. Or to perform. Or to perform. Yes, yeah, precisely. Right. Um, 
uh, we're often reminded that Kokyo particularly is often reminded, particularly in a full moon ceremony, this is not a performance. And sometimes some of the Kokyos who have the most trouble are uh, people who have had voice training. Because then they find themselves being drawn into performance rather than this is just an offering. Same thing with uh, flower arrangements. Um, uh, the the uh, altar chidens who put the flowers up are often told, now, you're not making a flower arrangement. This is a flower offering. Because some people come to Zen Center and they've had tremendous experience arranging flowers and making these beautiful offerings and uh, ar- these beautiful arrangements for parties and so forth. And they continue to do that. And sometimes somebody will come along and say, well, that's really beautiful, but it looks more like a flower arrangement. We just wanted you to make a flower offering. It's the same with the voice. It's not a performance. It's an offering. And that's a different footing. Well, um, perhaps we should uh, do something else now. Do you have a question or comment? No? All right. Okay. Thank you very much. May our intention equally extend to every being and place when the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Illusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.